0: Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. We look at everyday issues from a biblical worldview so that you can trust the sufficiency of scripture and apply its truth to your life as you raise and disciple your kids. Hello, Brave Parents. Welcome back another episode in our Setup for School series. My name is Kelly Newcomb. I'm the founder of Brave Parenting, And today we have another interview with a middle school administrator. But today it's going to be from a private school perspective. Aaron Southwick is the headmaster at a classical Christian school, and he is going to deliver some incredible insight in today's interview. Now, as you can probably imagine, there is a large difference in the approach to education between private school and public school. However, what you're going to hear is there is a distinct similarity between last week's interview and this week's. And you can probably guess what that is, but I'm gonna give you a clue. It's that online content and screen time needs to be limited. Y'all, this is what every expert has to say to us. Nonetheless, there is a whole lot more to glean from Aaron in this interview, so make sure you keep on listening. A few items of business real quick before we get the interview started. Be sure to sign up for our Brave Bullet Point newsletter We wanna be able to communicate with you via email instead of social media. So you can sign up for that newsletter at braveparenting.net forward slash newsletter. And if your church or your Christian school or other parent organization is looking for training in online media technology, Brave Parenting can come and speak on a biblical worldview of online media. You can visit braveparenting.net forward slash events to get your event booked for this fall of 2023 and spring of 2024 for the upcoming school year. But be sure to book early, so reach out, and that way we can get you scheduled. Okay, let's get to our interview with Erin Selfwick. Erin, thank you so much for sharing your expertise on the Brave Parenting Podcast. Go ahead and tell our listeners who you are and what you do.
1: Kelly, thank you so much for having me on the Brave Parenting podcast. Uh, I am, and we are at the Geneva School of Bernie, a huge supporter of Brave Parenting and the work that you are doing, so much so that we've invited you out to the school in various forms and capacities. We always receive such great feedback from our community when we have you out. I hear words like helpful and practical, intriguing, enlightening, so thank you.
0: That's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) And know that, ironically,
1: whenever the topic comes up, and uh, I give plugs for you and your work all the time, so uh, thank you. I'm Aaron Southwick. I've been involved in Christian and classical education for over 15 years. My own education and background is in philosophy and theology. I have been the humanities department chair and a humanities teacher at the Geneva School since 2007. Last June, however, June of 2022, I was promoted to the Logic School headmaster position at Geneva, which is just a fancy way of saying I'm the middle school principal. Uh, I've overseen and led our Logic School, that's grade six through eight, for a little over a year now. And uh, yes, I do mean it is a promotion. Some people might not, might not think shepherding 13 to 14 year olds is a promotion. From the Latin word promovere, to move forward, I might think it's being stuck in the mud, but I am so grateful that God has called me to this place at this time and for this work. I love this age group and the good work that we've already accomplished and will continue to accomplish by the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the good teamwork of our staff, our students, our parents, all working together towards a common good.
0: So today, one of the things we want to talk about is, of course, the consequences of smartphones that a lot of parents don't realize is, How much it impacts their child's education. Now, your school is gonna be probably a little bit different as far as its policies go than maybe a public school, but what we know is that kids are still on devices, still consuming a lot of online media when they are not at school. So, our desire is to get your perspective so that parents can kind of hear it from the source. We've also had a public school principal on, and so we would like to hear it from you as well, because not only are you overseeing their education, but you're dealing with them face-to-face, hands-on, life-on-life, and any fallout from that online media that they consume at home, you can sometimes experience at school. So let's first just start by considering some basics. Based on what you've seen and maybe what you experienced through coworkers at your school, have smartphones and screen media impacted a student's readiness for school? And if so, how?
1: Yes. uh, What a wonderful set of questions. And Yes, is just the first word that jumps out to me. Uh, You said something and you made a distinction in your introduction before you asked these questions that I think is important. And if it's okay, I'd like to touch on a little bit first. You said one of the consequences of smartphones that many parents don't realize is how much it impacts the child's desire to be educated. This is a very important distinction to make from the impact on the education itself. Smartphones impact the child's desire to be educated. Emphasis on that word desire. And I think there are some important things here that are helpful, really, for anyone from parents to grandparents, teachers, coaches, youth group leaders, Sunday school teachers, pastors, priests, anyone educating children, especially children in the age range that I oversee, I I think is important to understand. Education doesn't just happen at a school or when a child is at a school. The word education is a Latin word aducare, that means to lead out, to lead out. And so uh, think about what the opposite of that looks like. Think about what the opposite of leading out looks like, and what we see is maybe a stuffing in or a cramming in. What ought to be happening when a child is being educated is that they ought to be led, hopefully by someone much wiser, out of, to borrow from the Greek philosopher Plato's imagery, they ought to be led out of the cave and hopefully into the light of freedom. That's why we call our tradition the liberal arts tradition. It's an education that frees the soul. It's supposed to be something that frees, something that liberates. And so when we understand this distinction, we can see, however, that it's, this is not always the case. This is not always what happens. And indeed, one could argue that the majority of a child's educational experience, especially if they are allowed unlimited access to Smartphones is one in which information is being stuffed into or crammed into, which is the opposite of what a classical and Christian school such as ours is seeking to do.
0: I just learned so much right there. That is, that is such a great take on it. So because that desire to be educated is sort of being stuffed, and I just kind of think almost like stifled or muted a little bit by all of the entertainment When you see, or like, so your the elementary school or what you guys call grammar school, do you see that kids are different? So when you started in education, you know, years ago, are you seeing a difference now in those preschoolers and kindergartners and how they come into school ready?
1: Absolutely. I think another important thing here too to distinguish is the word "school" itself. As we think about this word "school," we can use it in different ways. So one way that we can think of the word "school" is it's the place where education happens. I work at the Geneva School of Bernie, or my child goes to the Geneva School of Bernie. And so in one sense, school is a place where education happens, but in another sense, school is a form of education. School, uh, probably a better way of understanding this is a way of thinking. We, we often will use the phrase in, in the common vernacular or something like, oh, that's that school of thought over there. Uh, and so it can be thought of as a way of thinking. But third, and and what I think is important is the, the etymology of the word school from Latin and Greek. The word means leisure. Skole means leisure. And so when you think about that, that's very interesting because very often what we find and what I've seen over the years, that's sort of what your question was asking, even in schools themselves, is the very opposite of leisure. Leisure happening. We find a, a hurriedness. We, we, we're seeing freneticism. Uh, we find cramming and, and contextless data dumping. We find fragmentation that results from this, even worse, isolation. And so the question then becomes, why? Why is this happening? Why are we observing this? And I think it's because our children have been and are being educated, this distinction from school. I think maybe a better word is formed. They are being formed in this way, especially when we allow smartphones and similar devices to do the educating on our behalf. It can even happen in classrooms. I've observed this, because, in a sense, it's the easy thing to do. I think if we go back to Plato's allegory of the cave, and we use that as an analogy for what I'm arguing, if you go back to the distinction of desire that you mention, this is the reason why Plato understood this. It's much easier, it's much safer, in a sense, I-, I like the word comfortable. It's much more comfortable to remain as the prisoner chained to the wall of the cave seeing the shadows projected onto the screen, rather than take the courageous approach and be the one who breaks free from those chains and allows wisdom to lead you outside the cave. You have to first break free from that comfortability that this education or this training, this formation that the child is receiving outside of our school is used to or accustomed to, and it just sort of becomes the normal or the, the comfortable thing.
0: When you talk about being chained inside the cave, I'm sure this is something you can imagine and envision as well. I immediately thought, well, a lot of parents are chained right there with them, with their kids. It's just as easy for them to just stay comfortable instead of doing the courageous work and numbing themselves with entertainment and just continuing in that trend. It seems like an obvious answer, you know, to should we limit screen time at early ages? But of course, it's, it's a lot harder in reality with busy lives and whining kids, and it's just so easy to give in. But with that said, how can parents better set their child up for success in being educated, in being schooled, in relation to this media and technology that's sort of keeping them chained up?
1: Uh, That's a great question. And I'll be really direct here if it's okay. I
0: I would want nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I, I will say
1: you must unplug your children. And that's why I highlighted at the beginning the Sort of irony of me saying I give plugs for you, you know, whenever I can. Um, There's a word that comes into our vernacular that's so tied to this media technology that we don't even realize it. And so, why must I think of Gandalf here? When when Gandalf returns to, he's discovered more about the Ring of Power as he's gone in and done his research. He says it's it's far more powerful. The Ring of Power is far more powerful than I dared to think at first. So powerful that it would utterly destroy any one of mortal race who possessed it, it would possess him. And there's that sort of tipping point at which, okay, here's this technology, here's this thing that we use, that's what the word techne means, but what's that point at which this thing we're using is the thing using us? And we have to use some wisdom and discernment here, and that's why I say you must unplug your child because they don't have that discernment yet. And so the logic seems rather simple to me. If you agree that being plugged in is derailing the educational process, then unplug your child. And here, I would like to recommend a resource for the listeners that our school, the Geneva School of Bernie, has made use of, and I think he pairs nicely with what you're doing here at at Brave Parenting. His name is Dr. Keith McCurdy. We've had him come out and speak at our school as we've had you come out and speak, and he has a website called Livesturdy.com where you can find more information about him but he pairs nicely because if parents are going to raise sturdy kids, that's, that's the title of his website and the work that he's doing, then parents need to be sturdy themselves, which is why I love that you call your work brave parenting. If we're going to have sturdy kids, then we have to have brave parents. And so I mentioned Dr. McCurdy also because he gives 10 practical ways to unplug your kid. And on a weekly basis, I send out a newsletter to our community, to the Logic School community, the parents uh, and grandparents of our 6th through 8th graders, and I, I, will, I will highlight these techniques or these ways of unplugging your children because it can be scary. It, it can be maybe perhaps difficult. You, you, you don't have to do all of these things, though, at once. And so if I can, I'll just quickly go through them, and I think maybe it would even foster further conversation. Number number one, have an electronic curfew. Have an electronic curfew. Uh, No devices after a set time. For me, personally, it's when I say my evening prayers. When I I say my evening prayers, that's the time at which I then cut off any sort of uh, devices because I know that they are a distraction. So have an electronic curfew, number one. Number two, have electronic-free zones. Go, go through your house and look at those spaces in your house that you would say, that's a sacred space. So, so no electronics at the dinner table, no electronics yeah. uh, in the bedroom. Number three, one screen at a time. I have so many yes. parents that will come in and they will complain maybe about their child's homework load. And it, it ends up being a great conversation because I will say, well, well tell me where your child is doing his or her, her homework. And I'll often find something like, well, they're doing it in their bedroom, and I might follow up with something like, well, tell me what's in there in terms of screens. Do they have a television? Yes, they have a television. Do they have their smartphone? Well, yes, they have their smartphone. Do they have some sort of a speaker and device and way to play music? Yes. Are they on those things while they're doing their homework? Well, I'm not sure. They're (laughs) in their bedroom. So it's possible that what is taking them three hours to accomplish could be accomplished in the hour that we said it would take if they weren't being distracted by these devices. So
0: it's amazing. We expect these kids to be able to do what we can't even do ourselves, like <laughs> that we often can't concentrate on something for an hour of homework without looking at our phone and looking at that. But yeah, we think our kids can do it. It's,
1: it's crazy. Indeed. Limit all screen time. I think the average, yes. and, and you probably could speak better to this, is something like seven and a half hours is the average time that Children are spending on screens. Limit it to one hour. I think that's something that is accomplishable. Where maybe some of these feel a little bit too difficult for you, start with that one. Don't invest in screens. Number five: There's no research out there that supports the needs for children under the age of 15 needing to be on a screen. So yeah, don't amen. invest in mm-hmm. the screens. Uh, number six: Get a library card and use it. Get yes. a library card. I would say yes. and use it. Yes. Um, number seven: Take an electronic free. Vacation, mm-hmm. take an electronic free vacation. And, and really, this is just the spiritual exercise of fasting. How many of us on January 2nd, right? I won't say January 1st. Technically, that's when it's supposed to start, but we're still, uh, we're still celebrating the new year. So, January 2nd, I begin my, my fasting because I'm not happy maybe with the way I feel or whatever it is. I, I do this innately or I do this intuitively. Take an electronic free vacation. Do homework and chores first, is another advice that he gives. Number eight. Do homework and chores before you allow your child to get on the device. Number nine, I love this one, and we practice this at home. Play with your kids. And I even just would like to pause at the word play. Just stop there. Play. And how much have we lost, in a sense, that idea of playing? Play with your kids. Another way I like to say it is go outside and smell a real flower. When's the last time you've done that? You've gone outside and actually smelt a real flower. And as you were saying earlier, if I'm not doing that, if I haven't done that, I wonder if the children are, I would doubt it.
0: Right, exactly.
1: And lastly, avoid electronics in downtime. This is a little bit counterintuitive because oftentimes we'll use the electronic device as the catalyst for the downtime. But the question to ask here is, are we teaching patience or are we just managing boredom?
0: Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I wrote a whole chapter in my book Uh (laughs) on on that aspect of patience of if we're not teaching it and so intentionally and media and technology is the easiest way to teach it, then when are they going to learn it? When are they going to learn it? So those are great. I love those suggestions from him. That I will include a link to that website as well in our podcast notes. So that's great advice. But let's look at middle school years, right? This is the age, the age everybody dreads. I think a lot of the reason why it's also got a lot of stigma not just because of puberty, but because this somehow has become the, okay, my kids go to middle school, now they get a phone, which of course I've been striving to change that.
1: A rite of passage of some kind. Yeah,
0: that sounds- but that's too young. I was actually just asked to, to speak to some eighth graders about social media and I thought, I think it's too young. I don't think I'm your right person because I'm going to tell them that they shouldn't have it. But let's talk about those middle school years. Um, they have the puberty, there's coming of age, there's just so much And, you know, they get this phone and they can handle it if there's maybe some limits and some restrictions. Maybe it works okay. But a lot of times parents just don't know. They're not doing that. Let's talk about your school specifically. I generally know your policy, but go ahead and tell everybody, what is your school's policy? How do you handle phones at the private school level when it comes to middle school?
1: Yeah, at the Geneva School of Bernie in the logic school or the middle school, we have a zero tolerance policy for smartphones. We call them ECDs, electronic communication devices. That's what's in our handbook because we recognize it's not just the phone. You can have a smart watch. So we say just anything that is electronic that in some way could connect to the internet and you could use that device to communicate with others outside of the physical space that you're in, we don't allow. So students are never allowed to be on any electronic communication device while they are on our campus and at school during the school hours.
0: And has it always been that way?
1: It has not always been a zero-tolerance policy in the Logic School. We've tried various things in the past from, you know, you could have the device, but it needed to be stowed away in a bag, in a locker, something like this. And when I came into this uh, position last year and examined all of that, I realized that the simplest thing to do, if we're all in agreement that this thing is a detractor or a distraction from what it is we're wanting to accomplish here at the Geneva School, why not just disallow it completely. And we put that policy into place last year. And that has been something I think that has been positive and effective. And I've gotten a lot of great feedback on. Yeah. And I have some stories to tell maybe later.
0: That's great. I was just gonna say, how how do you feel like that improvement has impacted kids? Like maybe what are the kids' responses? I'm sure they probably didn't like it as much. Maybe the parents didn't either. What kind of pushback and what kind of success have you seen?
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, that's a great question. And a couple things here. One, I actually love how you respond to this question, uh, something that you've said when you've come to our school to give presentations. You, you've said, being tech savvy doesn't mean being tech wise. That's so important to understand that principle. And, it, and it's so much in line with the classical Christian education tradition. So, what we're doing really is twofold. Number one, we are removing the mixed signaling or messaging. There's a pun for you, right? As we talk about this topic, but we're very clearly removing any sort of mixed signaling, mixed messaging and drawing a line in the sand, and it's very helpful for middle school students when you do that. And I maybe would like to come back to that later. Secondly, though, we're reinforcing that wonder precedes wisdom. Wonder precedes wisdom. Our our aim in this educational institution that we have ultimately is wisdom. We want to get our students to wisdom, but to get wisdom, you have to begin in wonder, and we recognize that the smartphone is not the place to begin in wonder. Do I ever get pushback from parents was a question that you asked, and that's a fair question. And I would say that this area and this policy and the area of uniforms or our uniform policy seem to be the two areas where I do receive the most pushback. And I think there, in some ways, these two are actually interconnected. There's another pun as we have this conversation. The smartphone and all of the trappings that it comes with encourages us to isolate ourselves And it preys upon a flawed understanding of self-identity and self-expression. I think there's the connection then to the uniform and the uniform policy that we have. So, of course, though, parents would be upset when they see their child upset and feel like we're taking away the two things that are granting them these false goods. But I think we have to remember, and I, I try to remind everyone whenever I can, that God created us to be in a relationship with others. From the very beginning. And God Himself is a relationship, and it's a relationship of love. The Father is the lover, the Son is the beloved, and the Holy Spirit is the love that's shared between the Father and the Son. And and that's how God created us. He created us to be in a relationship with another, in a relationship of love. And it's not love for myself or love for what I can get out of this thing, but truly loving the other person and willing the good of the other person is something that I think we have to remind ourselves. As we think through this. And this not only happens in relationship with another or an other, but it also happens in a much larger community. And I think that God has designed it this way. And so by removing the smartphone, we're removing the mixed signaling, but we're also creating space and opening up space then for the child to wonder and hopefully ultimately understand that God has designed us to be in a relationship with others and and not behind a screen.
0: And that is the focus we so neglect the value of relationships, that face-to-face time. As you were talking, I also just thought of in Romans when Paul talks about us kind of sacrificing some of our freedoms for the betterment. Um, And I think that for the kingdom, especially we as Christians, can really do such a better job showing, especially our children, as we disciple them, as we raise them, sacrificing some of our own freedoms, some of our own desires, Sure, we have the freedom to be on our phones. Sure, our kids technically have a freedom to have a phone, but is that what's best? Is that what is best for their faith, for the community of believers that they are surrounded by? So I love that answer. Okay, so what about these smartphones and how they're used in devices, ECDs, you call them, when they're used outside of the school instructional hours? Do you have any of that flow over any of the problems? Because as we know, there isn't a downtime anymore, right? Unless the parents are enforcing it. And of course, we want you to, to do that. We want you to take the phone at a certain point. So they are disconnected. And if there is some sort of bullying or fighting or some, some sort of strife going on between one student and another, that there is an end point to that. But does any of that overflow? into the school system that you guys have to, as, as administrators, have to deal with?
1: Uh, yes, I would say absolutely. And I think it's, you know, wise to make parents aware of this. They would, they would benefit. I, I know I would benefit. Yeah. I do benefit from this as a parent. So great questions. Giving your child a smartphone at too young of an age, and as you said, especially without any oversight or instruction, creates several confusions in them. And I don't think we really have the time to go into all of those confusions, and certainly this is not an age, the age that I oversee, where we need to be adding more confusions to them. But if I could just highlight three of the confusions that I've observed,
0: wonderful, uh, yes. and
1: I think maybe would be helpful. Number one, it creates confusion about, and really worse, a lack of boundaries. If we think about it, we, we know that when middle schoolers have clearly marked boundaries, a, a colleague of mine and a, and a fellow he- headmaster, she loves to say, no is a holy word. No is a holy word, and I think there's something there. When we set those marked boundaries, the students flourish. Smartphones, however, open up the child to a seemingly limitless and boundless world, which is enticing at first when you think about it, but we must remember that God created us with boundaries. He said, all of these trees you can have, just not this one tree here, and in our humanity... We tend to focus on that one tree that we're not allowed to eat from, and we forget about the millions, if not billions, of other trees that were there in the garden that God provided for mankind. So it's important to set boundaries so the child is not confused. Number one, I I see that bleed over. Number two, there's confusion about causation. Smartphones give us access to the worldwide web. As we think about that word web or emphasis on that word, it's very fascinating to think about all of the possibilities of exploration available to us but it's a web it can be rather confusing and so the problem for a child is that the most basic teaching and learning tool is cause and effect if this then this and when we damage that we damage that too early by removing or confusing not removing but confusing that understanding of causation that i see that bleeding over and coming into our school and we, we can't have this happening unchecked and or too early. Thirdly, I would say confusion about purpose and identity. Smartphones allow us to do more. We have access to more things. More things are open to us. It's a technology that word in and of itself implies the ability to do more because it sort of hones in on efficiency, makes, makes things more efficient for us, but it actually requires less of us. Uh, there's not much required to sit down or lie down, be on your couch and on your smartphone. But this seems to go against as well how God has created us. God gave man and woman very specific orders, clearly marked goals that were definable, that they could actually accomplish. And so he was asking them to do less, but he was requiring more of them, work for six days and on the seventh day rest. So. In other words, we shouldn't be thinking, do more, require less, and I'm borrowing this from Dr. McCurdy as well, too, but we should be thinking, how can I do less but require more? Do, do fewer things, but do those excellently. Um, and so the problem for s- children who are exposed to smartphones, and again, all of the trappings, is that they come in and they're confused and they twist this around. So again, other confusions I think I see, but those three, confusions about boundaries, Confusion about causation and confusion about purpose and identity. Those three really are impacting, especially middle school students, the most.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see, especially the purpose and identity. And I would think, and then you can correct me if I'm wrong, that because of the ubiquity of online media and whether you're going to a Christian private school or whether you're going to public school or whether you're being homeschooled, any child with no boundaries is going to look similar in the sense of their struggles with the purpose and identity because online media content wants nothing more than to, I always joke, take your soul. Instagram wants your soul, you know, TikTok wants your soul. They want to completely take you away from anything that's purposeful and they just want your mind. So I, would you say that anybody without boundaries, they're all going to look the same and have the same struggles regardless of where you're being educated?
1: I would totally agree with that. Yeah. And, and I like this idea of devices of the soul yes, and, and, and reminding ourselves of that these are devices of the soul.
0: Yeah, yeah. So what about high school? So you, where you teach, is the policy any different in the high school? I know in the public school, um, at least around where we are, the high school has totally different rules than the middle school. Does your high school administration have the same policies? Do they see similar issues? Sometimes I think as they get more mature, they have less issues, but at the same time, they also have less boundaries and sin is an equal opportunity you know, for everybody <laughs> and pornography and all of that can become even more rampant. What about your high schoolers?
1: Yeah. So at our school, our policy in the grammar school is zero tolerance, not allowed. And we implemented that policy, as I said, Uh, last year when I came in the summer of 2022. So that became our policy for last year, 22-23, and that will remain our policy. Our high school or rhetoric school has a little bit of a different policy where they do allow the students to have their devices. One example here would be that in the rhetoric school or high school, when a student is working on a research project of some kind, maybe writing an essay, there are laptops available to them to work on that project versus in our school the things that we're doing are, are all handwritten in class. So there seems to be just a practical need at the high school for students to have access to devices. So I think maybe in, in line with that, then the policy is that they are allowed to have their smartphone, that it needs to be turned off and it needs to be put away in a bag away from them um, so that it's not distracting I me. Mean, even just having our phone on us in our pocket, in our presence, we, we, we don't, aren't aware of this, but it's, it's distracting us. The high school at Geneva, the rhetoric school, has just brought on a new headmaster, and I haven't had a chance to have this conversation with him uh, about smartphones and maybe what that's going to look like down the road in the policy, and I look forward to that. So I don't want to say much more than, you know, than sure. what I've already said. Yeah.
0: So I know there's a lot of push in, in Christian circles after COVID, after the lockdowns, after everything that's been happening the past several years towards homeschooling and private schooling instead of sending their kids to government or public schools. And I know a lot of that is some of the culture war issues, but for others, it is simply an effort that they really want to maintain a biblical worldview. So how would you describe the culture, especially as it surrounds biblical worldview? That's one thing we really want to focus here on is the Brave Parenting podcast, is the sufficiency of scripture. You know, what is that culture for you in your private school?
1: Yeah, this is a very, very important topic of conversation. And a great question. When, when I think of the word culture, I think of something that Plato argued in, in a different book. Earlier, I mentioned his Allegory of the Cave, which comes from his book called The Republic. I believe it's in the Cretullus, he asks, or he makes the point that what we honor, when you look at societies or you look at civilizations, what is honored there is what's cultivated there. So as we examine a culture, we look at a culture, any culture at any level if you want to know what that culture is or is about, you look at what is being honored there. I've, I've heard other philosophers, um, maybe medieval Christian philosophers, such as St. Augustine say it along the lines of, you are what you love. Uh, we, we probably know this phrasing from, you are what you, you eat. eat. Uh, and so th- there's something there, there's truth there. Can a private school culture look and be different from a non-private school culture? Yes, of course. And I would argue that it should be, especially if we're charging extra money for it, that we would be a fundamentally different piece of pizza. However, following this logic, we can see that that might not be the case when examining a culture then and asking the question, is this culture different? We have to look at what's loved there. And as I think about love, I know it's true of me even in my own spiritual life, it's possible, there's four possibilities. A, I can love the right thing the right way. We would call that charity. So it's possible that I'm loving the right thing the right way, that's charity. It's also possible, be that I'm loving the right thing, but I'm loving it wrongly or in the wrong way. And we would call that profanity. Uh, We would call that taking something holy, right? Something that ought to be loved, but taking it outside of the temple, that's what the Latin word means, to remove it from the temple and now profane that thing. So I'm loving the right thing, but I'm doing so improperly. It's also possible to love the wrong thing, but do it the right way. Uh, this would be the, the sin of idolatry. I'm I'm taking something that is outside the temple, the created thing, and I'm bringing it into the temple. I'm worshiping it. I'm loving that thing properly, but it's the wrong thing. And lastly, the the fourth possibility, D, would be I love the wrong thing the wrong way, and that's the sin of lust. That's the sin of disordered passion. So I see why there is a push towards homeschooling or private schooling. Uh, th- this makes sense to me because it seems like, you know, in this scenario, we have a little bit more control over. I, I can maybe have a little more guarantee or surety that the right thing is being loved the right way there in that school. Or maybe we'd say, well, I can see the right thing is being loved. Maybe they're not loving it totally rightly here, but, uh, you know, cut it some slack a little bit. They're on, on the right path here. And then I think conversely, there might be a little bit of fear against, say, the public school over there, because there, there's no, almost no control, almost, almost no recourse or defense. We see they're loving the wrong thing the wrong way, and there's nothing I can really do about that. So, I do think, though, we have to be careful and use discernment and wisdom, as I mentioned earlier, because I have seen private schools even practicing quite a bit of idolatry, or at worst, misordered love, And so, this is why I love that you point out the need for placing importance on teaching from a scriptural or biblical worldview to keep these categories distinguished from one another and to make sure that we're loving the right thing in the right way. And so, as the child is learning the liberal arts, uh, and indeed, this is what our school, the Geneva School of Bernie, is about. This is our primary mission that we are studying and learning the art, the subjects that are truly going to free the soul and bring the soul out of the cave into the light of truth and goodness and beauty. And as we're doing that, we're doing that from a biblical worldview.
0: Wow, that's awesome. I really loved the way you described that because that can be seen with almost everything related to devices and online media. Um, We can love our phones the right way because it helps me communicate with people when I need to communicate with them. But I, I can also love it in the wrong way. And then I'm spending time on it while ignoring others. And so that is a great visual. I absolutely love that. Thank you for sharing that. So how important then would you say as far as, you know, you can do what you do in the school, you can set everything up beautifully, you can have all the teachers and have the curriculum, you can have the biblical review, the scripture to back it up, the time of prayer, all of that. But then you have the parents, and they play such a huge role. And in our culture, parents are just really, they're being portrayed in the media as useless, kids being the authoritative person in their own lives. You see that all over the place. How important is this parental role modeling, especially when it comes with media and technology, in the student's walk with Christ?
1: I love the assumption, even of this question. I love how you talked about it's so important for parents to hear this. And I love how you talked about the denigration of the family and the role of parents. If we if we switch technologies and go over to the television screen, a great a great book here that's formed my thinking, my own philosophy and thinking about this these topics is amusing ourselves to death. I know you're going to say that yes. (laughs) Nineteen eighty five, he's dealing with the television, but just look at sitcoms, you know, from the eighties through the nineties and just pick the father figure, right? And how there was this denigration over time of, of the father figure, but now go back and talk about or think about the importance of the role of the father. So, parental role modeling is of primary importance. It's the first place a child receives grace. It's, it's the first place where blessing and nourishment, breath, the first breath that's taken, a flourishing food, the first place that happens is in and with the family. Secondly, it's the first place where the child receives instruction or the child receives tradition. So it's the first place where the child receives the word. And so this, this is the vocation that families have placed upon them, as, as the Proverbs tell us time and again. It reminds us that we ought to train up our children in the way that, that they ought to go. And so it's our vocation as parents and as families to give them the word and to give them the bread. And when phrased in these spiritual categories, we can see that the parent and the home, it's not the only institution in which this happens. Of course, we would say the word and the bread are being given to us in the church, and the importance of the church ought to be highlighted for sure. The school as well, those things are happening in the school. So it's not the only institution in which this is happening, but it is indeed the primary institution, the first institution.
0: That immediately reminds me of Matthew 7, 9, when... You know, he says, "Who among you, if your son was to ask for bread, would you give him a stone?" I use that example in my book because it's like what they want is connection, but we're handing them a device. And it's like a stone. It's like literally weighing them down the heaviest stone they could possibly. It's not exactly what they want. They want just connection. They want connection with mom and dad. They want connection just untethered to devices. And so that's that's a beautiful picture. so, As we kind of wrap up a little bit, I would love to hear maybe just like one or two points that you would love to see um, things that parents can improve on, you know, whether they be the parents at your school, the parents of any school, the parents who are at the restaurant and they're all on devices, (laughs) the parents anywhere around, you know, some of us, we really are. I know a lot of our listeners are just in there. We're doing the brave, hard work. It's, it's really challenging. I think this is probably the hardest time ever, (laughs) maybe to parent because there is so much going up against us. But what encouragement would you give to parents as to things that really can be improved on, and especially with your interaction with, with young teenagers?
1: Yeah, thank you. And if you are a parent out there, a grandparent out there, uh, I would just firstly like to say, encourage you and, and highlight what you said, that it's such a vital and important role and praise you and encourage you to, to stay the course, even in the midst of challenges. You asked for two points, if it's okay, I'll give you three, and maybe rather than talking to the audience of parents, I'll just speak to myself as a parent. These would be three points that I'll make to myself as a parent and encourage myself, and maybe that word will go out and resonate with others. So firstly, have dinner together every, I put that in quotations, because I understand that's not always possible, but have dinner together every evening as a family, and from time to time, do it with others do it with others. Uh, and what I mean by that is do it with friends, do it within a community, but, but set the goal of having dinner together every evening as a family. Number two, have family game night once a week and make sure it's a disconnected, unplugged game, but have family game night once a week. Lastly, uh, take a phone-free vacation. Take a phone-free vacation once a year. What, what do you have to lose? And if it's okay, I'll, I'd like to tell a story here that happened with our school recently with our eighth graders that we took on a trip to Washington, D.C. and to Philadelphia. It's a class trip that we take every year. So, with our policy, no electronic communication devices on our campus, came the question well, are we going to allow our eighth graders to have their electronic communication device on the D.C. trip, is what we call it? And we came to the conclusion that no, for the reasons and the values that we have established that they ought not have it on campus it doesn't change just because we our school is on a field trip in Washington DC and so rightfully so one pushback that i got was well what's going to happen on the airplane what's going to happen on the airplane ride and so i said well uh, i suppose it will be like when i was in school on bus rides to baseball games i just would talk to the guy that was sitting next to me and so we'll encourage them to speak to one another we'll encourage them to bring games cards, this sort of thing. And so it was very interesting on the plane ride out to Washington, D.C. That's exactly what our students were doing. And I loved it. It was such a beautiful picture of that idea of playing even earlier that I mentioned. That's what we saw. That's what we observed. We observed human beings interacting with one another, having conversations face to face, and even playing games together, disconnected. Well, the thing we didn't account for was the increase in the decibel level on the airplane uh and so th- this is important to note that one of the things we're doing when we're handing our children that device at at such a young age is we're it's a pacifier we're pacifying them we're wanting to keep them quiet hush them up yeah and so we didn't account for this and so it was just really funny because at some point on the plane maybe midway through the journey the the flight attendant got on the the microphone and was asking the plane to quiet down you know quiet down it's too noisy here and i'm sitting here going no they're doing a good thing so uh, I just end with that story to say it is a challenge. I, I understand that it is a challenge as a parent, and there are these reasons that we have these justifications for giving the children the smartphone. But I think when you set those boundaries, you'll, you'll be surprised. And that was some of the best feedback I got from our students about that trip was, you know, thank you, Mr. Southwick, and our, our trip coordinator's name is Mrs. Wilson. Thank you, Mr. Southwick. Thank you, Mrs. Wilson, for making us get off of our phones and not allowing us to bring them on the trip.
0: I volunteer, I serve high school girls. I've been with them for the past four years, and they are so thrilled when we go to our spring weekend retreat because they don't have to have their phones, like because we take them. We as the church take them from them when they get on the bus, and then we give them back when they get off the bus. and they love it though they don't they don't complain. There is such a freedom to not being bound to that phone that they, they need permission almost to just do, but a lot of times they're not going to give that permission to themselves. And so that's where the parents, that's where brave teachers, administrators, we can all do that for them is just be brave. Like they're going to push back, but what, there is such beauty on the other side of it. So much growth, so much fruit. And that, that is what we want to see, you know, from our young uh, Christ followers, it's just that fruit Well, thank you so much. This has been extremely insightful. I loved, loved the wisdom that you brought and the insight that you brought. I I think that one of the main takeaways is just that need to draw the line in the sand. And I thank you that you and your school are drawing that line in the sand and encouraging others. I think that that is so important, but yet it's scary. And a lot of parents are not willing to do that. So thank you for your wisdom, for sharing it with us.
1: There, there's a prayer, if it's okay. There's a prayer that I pray every day. I pray, uh, Lord, give me a serenity to accept the things I can't change. Give me courage to change the things I can and give me wisdom to discern between the two. Yeah. And so I agree with you wholeheartedly as parents and as min- administrators in education. This is something we can change. And so be courageous.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, Aaron, so much. Thank you. All right, friends. Wasn't that incredible? I don't know about you, but I do enjoy a little philosophical discourse every now and then. I've come to appreciate that. Now, maybe you were thrown off a little bit by the Latin and Greek etymology, but you have to love how Aaron highlighted just the goal of gaining wisdom. I also loved the resource of Live Sturdy that he shared, and we're going to have a link for that in the show notes for you. And I really appreciated his elaboration on the confusion kids experience about boundaries, causation, and identity. All of it was so super helpful. Now, we've been talking about education, the importance of less screen time, and the promotion of biblical and theological teaching and training for kids, but also right for parents. There isn't one right way, as we have said, to educate your child one type of curriculum. But we've brought all these experts in their fields into our conversation because at the end of the day, where our children stand in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is really all that matters. Kids can have straight A's. They can be the varsity captain of their sport. But if they have gained the world but lost their soul, this should mourn our hearts. It is about, for us as parents, setting that example, following Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Seeking that deeper relationship and understanding God's word every day. And when we are doing this and we can invite our children along, this is discipleship, right? This is what leads them to salvation. There is no greater purpose or calling as a parent than to make disciples. So Chelsea and I really pray that you are encouraged and empowered to do just that. In these past few episodes, I pray that they have just stirred your heart towards desiring biblical literacy, maybe desiring some theological teaching for you and your children. But most importantly, hopefully you're desiring less screen time and you're motivated to set new boundaries for this school year so that that discipleship can happen. All right, friends, that is all we have time for today. I really want to thank our guest once again, Aaron Southwick, for joining us on the Brave Parenting Podcast. Next week, we have a, another wonderful interview about screen free youth ministry. So make sure you're subscribed. Don't miss an episode. Until next week, go and be brave.